0: Better Buildings for Humans is sponsored by Advanced Glazings, makers of the Solera line of products. Solera is the leading glass glazing made specifically for architectural daylighting and with extreme thermal insulation performance. Learn more at advancedglazings.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Better Buildings for Humans, the show where we talk about wellness, productivity, health, and all the good things that happen when we design our buildings properly. Today, I am absolutely honored to have Lila Allen as our guest. She's the senior editor of AD Pro, which is AD's members only community for the design industry. Um, her writing, besides the work she does for AD Pro, her Writings appeared in the New York Times, um, Architects' Newspaper, Architectural Record. Um, it, like I said, it's an absolute honor to have you here today, Lila. Welcome.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. So let's dive in first and. and and talk about um, your journey in the media. Um, you know how you came to love architecture, and of course, how you came to find yourself in your current role as senior editor of AD Pro.
1: Sure. Well, I've always been a lover of visual culture, starting probably when I was a baby. Um, I come by it honestly enough. Both my parents were really into it. They both collected art. Um, you know, I was at museums starting probably when I was a toddler. Um, I actually ended up interning at a local museum, the Mint Museum of Art in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was a teenager. I docented in the summer. So I was always very passionate about art. And I took art lessons from a very young age. Um, but my parents were also big believers in a liberal arts education. So I ended up studying art history at Davidson College, and I thought for a long time I would be in museum world. That was kind of uh, what I'd been doing in my summer internships and everything else, um, and that is where I started things off. Um, I graduated from Davidson in 2009, and I ended up working at a museum called the Beckler Museum of Modern Art in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I was very lucky to get a job then because it was 2009, like I said, so peak recession. Um, The fact that an art museum even opened that year, I think, is a small miracle. And I was lucky enough to get a job there. So I started off working the front desk and it was a very bootstrap operation. Um, Skeleton crew. I think we had like seven employees or something like that. And one of my big responsibilities uh, early on um, that eventually became a full-time role in the education department was that I gave tours, um, multiple times a day. This is a brand new museum. So no one had ever been to it before. Everyone needed a tour. So I was giving tours of this building three or four times a day. And if you've never been to Charlotte or seen this building, <clears throat> it's gorgeous. It's this terracotta clad cube with, um, a giant cantilevered gallery, um, And it's designed by Mario Boda, Swiss architect. It's really beautiful. And in Charlotte, it was just a totally incredible piece of architecture, really stood out downtown. I mean, just instant attraction. You know, whenever a celebrity would come to town and staying downtown, I feel like they always went to the museum first thing. Um, But giving all those tours um, really is where I fell in love with architecture, I think, because – sorry, said again – uh, giving those tours was where I think I really fell in love with architecture because you're seeing groups, you're taking them on the same route more or less every day, and you're seeing how your direction like actually is, it, the way that they're moving through the building is actually directed by the architecture. The architecture is shaping, you know, are they standing up against the wall? What sight lines do they have? How are they understanding the artwork's relationship um, with pieces around it and with other pieces in the building. Um, this building actually had a gallery on the top floor where you could see from one side um, through an atrium across to the other side and have this like amazing framing effect so you could set up these really cool relationships across the building. And I just realized, you know as somebody who had studied art history and really studied art in more of an architecture in more of a, a historical sense, Um, and less of a practical or uh, philosophical one. Uh, I just saw how the building could shape our experience. And I even saw like an early floor plan of the building that was um, devised like pre uh, recession, where they had more staff working downstairs. And I realized that even the design of the building shaped how they staffed um, the downstairs. So that had never occurred to me as something that was possible through architecture. So I think that really opened my eyes to it. Um, I had grown up going to New York every year with my parents to see art. I came with my mom to see the unfurling of Christos gates in my sophomore or junior year of high school. And I always knew I'd end up in New York. And I also knew if I wanted a career in the arts that this was probably a better place to be long term. So uh, I moved up and I continued working in museums. I worked at the Met. And eventually, I I made a pivot. I went back to grad school. I had been writing and editing the whole time um, during all of this, just moonlighting as an editor, picking up freelance jobs, things like that. And I was always um, good at writing. And um, in all my jobs, I did it in some way or another. But I wanted to make it more of a focus of my work. So I went back to grad school, and I studied design, research, writing, and criticism at the School of Visual Arts. It's a small program. Um, it's a one-year MA. And I went there and I used that as a time to kind of pivot out of the museum world. It wasn't my intention when I went in, but it's what happened. Started working in an architecture firm, um, Rockwell Group here in New York. And um, eventually I ended up at Metropolis Magazine and was there as managing editor for a few years. And um, here I am now at AD Pro. So it, it's a great job. It combines... Everything I love, it's got um, community building, it's got uh, editorial production, writing, meeting just incredibly brilliant people, seeing more beautiful spaces than you can possibly imagine, traveling, education, um, yeah, and getting to be creative and, and really provide support to the professional design community, which I've become very passionate about.
0: That was a wonderful answer. I I, I loved the discovery process. Uh, you know, as a nerdy engineer, and when you go to engineering school, they surgically remove the right side of your brain. They just take it right out of there. Uh, so just the thought that that you know uh, an architect can can suggest movement and and direct a gaze and those sorts of things, I, I think that's just absolutely fascinating. And I love how it, it led you on your journey. Um, before we go much farther, uh, I, I I need to congratulate you. On the uh, the hundredth uh, the hundredth uh, um, edition of, of AD. Congratulations on that! And apparently, there's a documentary coming out. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little more about both of those things. Sure.
1: So we do have this documentary coming out. Um, the full like, streaming details are still coming forward. So tune into ad for more information on that um, it's directed by an emmy award-winning director kate novak um, she also did uh, first monday in may page one um, the gospel according to uh, uh, andre if you know those um, really amazing work um, but it's 8100 the new taste and it spotlights four different 8100 designers um, for anyone listening who's not familiar, ad is a yearly list that AD releases of the, the top of the design field. Um, you know, architects, interior designers, people that are really kind of capturing the moment and just executing amazing work. Yeah. So um, the list for this year is not out at this moment, at the time of recording, but I believe it's going to be by the time the episode airs. So you should be able to go out and actually pick up this issue. Um, from newsstands, and you can see who's on the list. We have more newness than ever on the list this year. Um, every year, the, the list is evolving and becoming more diverse, more um, more kinds of uh, faces on it every day. So we're we're really excited, and um, these are designers we strongly back and really believe in, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so we're very excited. And a few of them um, are going to be in this documentary. It's Martin Lawrence Ballard, Layton Lewis, um, Pamela Shamshiri, and Bjarke Ingels, uh, who I'm sure people <laughs> listening to this podcast are familiar with. And uh, yeah, just speaking about the moment in style and uh, the moment in interiors.
0: That's wonderful. OK. Um, all right, let's 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 dive into some, some design questions then. Um, you know this show is is about the impact on on human health of, of buildings and we're going to talk about style too don't worry but 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 much of it is, is focused on human health um, how much of an appetite does your readership have for for the impact on on health wellness well-being productivity those sorts of things uh, you know the, the discussions of beauty and lifestyle and just sheer enjoyment of a building those are there but how much conversation is going on um among your readership about the impact on on, on, on uh, our better behavior and our better lifestyle by via building design
1: sure um i think in 2023 it's hard to have a conversation about the built environment without talking about wellness in some form or another um, you know how you talk about wellness there's many ways to do it, right? You can talk about health, you can talk about social well-being and social connection, you can talk about psychological health, you can talk about neurodiversity. There's, there's so many ways that you can talk about it. So I think it's a sort of inevitable part of the conversation. Um, certainly recently, uh, you know, COVID-19 highlighted just how much we rely on our spaces to keep us safe. You know, I did not have strong feelings about the operable windows in my own apartment until I suddenly was uh, sharing a home with a sick husband. So I now it's a non-negotiable. we got to have those windows open if he's sick. Um, so, you know, the majority of our readers are professionals. Um, they're working in the single-family residential space. So for them, the question of wellness really relates to client satisfaction. You know, does the client feels comfortable? Does the client feel supported and healthy in the space they live in that the designer has made for them? You know, can they get restful sleep? Um, I know that's a big topic of conversation right now. Can they can they breathe clean air? We've had you know smoke from the fires uh, this past year here in New York coming down from from Canada. I know Canada's probably experienced it as well. Um, so air purification was certainly on the radar this year. Um, but the designers that read AD are like. Uh, I like to call them lifestyle concierges. So these are things that they need to consider in order to create design that's going to be successful for their clients. Um, Whenever we're discussing pitches at 80 Pro, the question we always ask again and again is, what can a professional designer take away from this story? Um, we try to create content that will help them advance their practice and really stay ahead of the curve. So when it comes to wellness and health-related topics, we're thinking about how they're going to put these ideas to work. So for example, um, we had a kitchen trend report that's uh, something we put out for our members quarterly. Um, It's not always about kitchens. We do about outdoors. We do We did one just now for 2024 trends and predictions Um, but this one back in may that we released had a story about laying out a healthy kitchen so you know how can you create a kitchen where injuries are less likely to happen where cross-contamination is less likely to happen Um, You know, we're also thinking about products and how they can kind of lend a helping hand as well. So that might mean antimicrobial light plates. Uh, It could mean um, the latest developments in the gas range legislation so that these designers can give their clients the tools and the information they need to make the best decisions about their home
0: that's fantastic so the the let's talk i have to go a little bit on the the injury prevention um can you give me an example or two of the things that people have done to uh, to reduce injuries in kitchens
1: sure so i mean it could be um you know the slipperiness of the floor what kind of material are you putting down on the floor um you know is it in the splash zone from the sink for instance that's one that i would probably look at um you know and if you have children around you probably want to think about where certain things are going to be placed, you know, um, so the you know, knives. Kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe not a knife block in, in arm's reach of the child, but yeah, but I think anti-slip is a, is a big one for sure.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about we talked about connection a little bit. Let's talk about connection with the outside world. Uh, you know, I, I I come from the world of architectural daylighting. Um, and, mm. and, you know, that the views are so critical and natural light is so critical. And, of course, fresh air is so critical. Um, what, what kind of interesting stories are you hearing these days about things that the designers are doing to, to maintain and promote those connections?
1: Well you know, I don't think it's news to anybody listening in right now that the potential of outdoor space has just totally expanded, I think, um, since 2020, when we were sort of forced into that situation, especially here in the US, where there was less of this kind of indoor outdoor culture outside of maybe California. Um, Actually, I was just speaking to an architect last week out of California who was getting asked to do a California style residence in Minnesota of all places. So like, you know, that's been interesting, too, is how can you take these kind of Um, regional designs and adapt them to these other environments and and still make them work. Um, But anyway, so I I think possibilities of outdoor space are really expanding right now. And it's really, um, you know, I I don't think it's reached full maturity at this point. I think it's still very much in development. I think it's very full of possibility. And I will say every market I'm going to, I'm learning of a new brand or uh, an existing brand that's uh, going into the outdoor space. So people now are creating full outdoor rooms, which I think is fascinating. Um, That might mean a really beautiful outdoor shower or even a bathtub. Um, It could mean an outdoor kitchen with a mobile bar cart um, or plush, super well-designed furniture that you could just as easily have in your living room. Outdoor furniture has come so far in the last few years, especially with so many different um, uh, fabrics available now that can withstand the elements. Um, We did a a different trend report back in March on, um, it was an outdoor forecast for our members, and I hosted a panel with two landscape designers and an interior designer. The the landscape designers were Fernando Wong and David Godshaw of um, TerraMoto, which is an 8100 firm. Um, The interior designer was Josh Green, another 8100 star and it was really fascinating hearing about how their worlds interact, but the, the one point that I really remember from that conversation that I thought was so interesting was David mentioned um, a home that he had worked on for a client where it was a you know, single family residence and the people who lived there, their parents um, were aging and needed an accessible landscape. So you know, what does an accessible landscape look like outside of a commercial space and ADA guidelines, you know, where maybe you don't have concrete in your backyard, but how else can you make it accessible? And I think as the population is aging, this is going to be a really interesting conversation to have. So I'm curious to see how that conversation evolves.
0: Okay. Now, let me, let me. uh, there's two places I want to go after hearing that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the first is um, we've talked about you know, great outdoor spaces. What about? Is there? Do you see any particular trends in terms of bringing the outdoors into the house? Uh, you know, changes in windows, changes in in, in you know ventilation methodologies. What, uh, can you speak to anything there?
1: For sure. I mean, we've run a number of really beautiful properties that just completely open to the outdoors on kind of either side of the house. Um, You know, obviously, you've got to have a climate that can go along with that. But I think there's some really amazing products on the market now where you can have these really dramatic, large expanses that open up onto a backyard or a patio um, that really allow this fresh air to come in. Um, You also have, we've been seeing a number of full trees (laughs) planted indoors at houses. Uh, I actually am sitting on a story right now. I need to edit um, about this very topic. So after I Read that draft. I'll have more to say on that.
0: Okay. What about in in? Well, I, I live in Nova Scotia. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't get extremely cold here. We don't we don't get terribly cold, but but it's winter for a long time, and we mm-hmm. get a, sometimes we get a substantial amount of snow. Do you see any sort of outdoor spaces that are designed to accommodate uh, winter conditions? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Pure curiosity.
1: Yeah. I'm sure we do. I don't have any top of mind, but that's a great question. And actually I would love to look into that for a story because I think that's a really good point. I'm sure that someone has thought of it. All the outdoor spaces I'm thinking of though are are warm weather. Um, So I may have to get back to you on that one.
0: Okay, well, you're welcome. Uh Thank you. (laughs) so all right let let's talk about working from home and 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 how that's changed uh, changed your world uh, um, you know I mean we still have people that go into the office at least some portion of the time um, mm-hmm. but the home has now has to accommodate um, office space there's always been people who've worked from home but now it's 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 you know it's mainstream it's it's the, it's more the norm than the exception mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about it in two ways. First of all, tell us about the kinds of things that, that your designers are, are saying about changes that need to be made in the home to accommodate this new lifestyle. But also tell me about any adjustments that you've had to make uh, in the media in order to cover these this, these changes, this transition.
1: Right. Well, you know, I think this is something that we're still really seeing unfold, kind of like the outdoor design piece I just discussed. Um, it, it seems to change every few months uh, as policies get put into place. I think it's also very dependent on where you live. Um, you know, we at ADE are here at the office three days a week. We work out of one world trade. I have uh, right now I'm sitting in the office and, you know, GQ is on one side of me and Vanity Fair is on the other and Self is over there. So it's, it's always kind of fun being here and seeing people come and go. I always ask designers about their work from home policies when I see them out in the wild. And at least here in New York, um, people are in the office more days than not. Um, And I think that's because, and many of them have told me, it's because they're working with physical samples. Um, So they're comparing color swatches, they're testing furniture, they're doing site visits. And those are things that can all be done remotely, but I think there's a lot to be said for the real thing. Um, So I think that's reflected in their working habits. Uh, many designers have told me that clients are actually much more comfortable hiring them from afar than they used to be, which is really encouraging. And we actually just launched a tool earlier this year um, targeting that. So that's, it's the AD Pro Directory, and it's designed to connect readers of AD with designers they can hire. So we see people sometimes if they have a home somewhere other than where they're living, they're designing for a secondary residence they'll go on there and be able to search by state and find a designer there. So that's a nice tool to be launching kind of as this is happening. Um, But back to offices, I think in terms of our content, we're looking at the evolution of this in a few different ways. One, we're providing designers with kind of insights on what their peers are doing. Um, So that can mean how they're setting up their offices, how they're managing staff, how they're communicating with their clients. Um, remotely, uh, you know, even, you know, where they're finding talent and so forth. I think all of these things have been impacted by this shift in work. Um, Two, across AD, we're thinking about this new sort of hybrid lifestyle um, and responding to it in our product coverage. So for Seat Week, our our staff is going to be out testing and reviewing office chairs ourselves at our own homes and seeing what kind of feedback we can give. Um, I also just in the trend report we released last week, we had a whole story about kind of the shifting floor plan right now. And we seem to agree that while open plan um, isn't really going anywhere, there are these kind of interesting hybrid spaces that are coming up. So, you know, we've seen game rooms interestingly really make a, a comeback recently. Or if I don't know if it's a comeback or if it's the first time around, maybe from a very long time ago. Um, but, you know, you have these kind of interesting ways people are connecting in their homes, but still creating spaces that can serve multiple functions. Um, we also do a ton of product coverage on Pro. So in April, when it's Salona di Mobila, which is the big Italian furniture fair, we'll be covering the new products, including you know office furniture that's coming to market. Um, and three, Online and in our print magazines, you know, almost every day we're covering really stylish, high caliber homes, um, where you have these flex spaces, kind of, uh, we're seeing them in real time and people I think can draw a lot of inspiration from them. And, you know, I remember writing a story last year about um, a woman who ran a fashion blog and she had uh, her office in her closet, so a claw office, but it was, one that I think anybody would envy. It was just the most beautiful Zoom backdrop, but it totally fit in with her career and allowed her to kind of pull out pieces and be able to collaborate. And for her, that made a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, not everybody's going to want to claw this.
0: <laughs> I am going to use the term... Office <laughs> conversation tonight. Somehow I don't know how, but I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to sneak it in. That's that's a great one. All right, you mentioned trends. Let's talk about trends. What are What are some of the biggest trends in in the build environment? I, I don't care if it's consumer or or, or, or uh, commercial or, or, or residential. You, pick, you You tell me which ones you want to talk about. What oh, are the sure. big ones these days?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's hard to pick, but I will say one thing that I have. Personally, found very energizing, is the degree to which personalization is now happening. In, I mean, I think that is actually true of um, you know office spaces, but particularly of homes and the kind of boldness and creativity that homeowners are embracing. Um, I think everyone is over cookie cutter design. Um, to me, a compelling space is one that really responds to its users. So that accessible landscape story that I mentioned a moment ago that was responding to um, the aging parents and being able to accommodate them and make sure that they could play with their grandchildren out in the yard. I think that's a great example of one. Um, You know, you also have designers creating spaces with neurodiversity in mind, which is something we've covered on pro. So that can mean everything from looking at the, considering the postures that are afforded by the furniture to weighing the sensory load of the space um, yeah, I think now more than ever, there's no such thing as one size fits all design.
0: I would love to do like an entire episode just on, on, on neurodiversity design around. There's neurodiversity. so much to
1: say. You should. It's, yeah. it's fascinating, especially and yeah. you know, in the office world. There's a lot going on there. Um, so yeah, we were interested in looking at a kind of in-home design because I was seeing the conversation happen um, in commercial design, and I'm like, you know, how does this happen for a family that's dealing with neurodiversity?
0: Right. Okay. All right. Let's change the subject completely. Completely, we're <laughs> talking about design a little bit. I now I understand and forgive me. Uh, my my uh, strange, boring engineering mind uh, is not quite as up to speed as it should be. But I, I'm told that minimalism is dead, and 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 uh, I want to understand live
1: minimalism. Just yeah. kidding. I'm a total maximalist myself. But <laughs>
0: okay. So so it's been replaced by maximalism.
1: You know, I really think whatever side of the spectrum you're on, you can find compelling examples of recent design. I think it's, I think you can make a very strong case for either one. So, um, you know, Hannah Martin, my colleague has a column um, on AD Pro called Having a Moment, where we pick a particular trend. And, and she's just got, the, I mean, she's an amazing writer, but she also really digs into history and kind of finds the the origin for something and then talks to designers about how they're sort of reinterpreting it and um, and their recommendations for kind of deploying it in, in fellow designers' work. Um, and she has called out a few things that I think you could definitely say are maximalist. Um, one, that I loved this last year was the return of colorful plumbing fixtures which you know I had known mostly from like my great grandmother's house but you know Kohler like released a whole line of these amazing pastel plumbing fixtures this last year and we, I've seen them used in some great spaces um moire fabric was one that we had a having a moment about um, and that I've been seeing around a lot I think both of those could be seen as maximalist but I think you can just as easily argue the opposite. Um, one story that Hannah just wrote, that actually the Boston Globe wrote up, um, it's a hilarious article you have to go read. Um, it was about the rise of monastic bed making. So if you think of a very simple bed with just a, a coverlet, just turned over a couple of pillows with maybe one single throw pillow on top, if if that, um, you know, that's another thing that I think is happening right now. We're seeing it in lots of the homes that are in the magazine. So um, that's one that I think would say minimalism is happening. Um, also I think that we've seen a rise in the last year of what we're calling industrial minimalism, which sort of sort of like that high tech 80s look. But I think that's going to take a little while to become more mainstream.
0: Interesting. Okay, let's let's talk about, moving from commercial sorry yeah yeah moving from commercial design to residential and vice versa do you see anything interesting happening in either or both directions um so trend let's say trends in commercial design that are finding their way into into residential design
1: yeah, well, I think one through line that you can definitely tease out, um, certainly from hospitality to office, but I think that same through line goes from hospitality to private residences. I hear from designers all the time that travel really it informs their work. I just hosted a panel last week where the designers were kind of talking about this exact point. A lot of clients gather ideas for their own homes while they're traveling, so it might mean, oh, I love having breakfast in my bedroom with a little table, and so. You, You know, the designer will put in a little kind of, um, you know, a two-top little quaint table in front of the bed. And it's a place where they can have their tea and their their morning croissant. Um, But also you see some, again, just very uh, robust spaces, like, uh, you know, full kitchens in offices. uh, Something that I've seen in several offices that have been pitched to us. Uh, you know, robust outdoor areas, really beautiful, rich material palettes um, I'm seeing in offices as well, which is really nice to see, like, you know, less sterile design and really, um, you know, um, kind of full-throated design, which I appreciate. Um, and back to that hospitality note, kind of coming into homes, I, I, I went to a house last year of a CEO, um, and he had just um, had his house designed by an 8100 designer. And they, they put in a full bar into the house, which we've seen lots of home bars, but I have to say this one was next level. They developed their own branding for the bar. It had a logo, it had a seal with like a, it had its own name. Um, it was like a speakeasy, so you kind of slid a door to get into there. It had a patio with seating outside. There was a full bar of whiskey, banquets, tables, like it was just the ultimate kind of, place for entertaining, but also, I mean, I would just sit there and work if it were me. Um, just kind of tricking yourself into, you know, having um just a very hospitable, welcoming space to go and kind of unwind for a few minutes.
0: That sounds absolutely wonderful. All right. Now's the time on the show where I have to ask you the question that I ask every single guest. And and I don't I don't qualify the question very much because it's fun to see uh, mm-hmm. uh, where people go with it. And that is what makes a beautiful building or a great building?
1: Okay, so my measure for a great work of art, and this is, uh, you know, regardless of the medium, this could be a book, it could be a painting, it could be a film, but it's also true of buildings and even interiors too. And that is, am I still thinking about it a week later? If I am, there's a there, there, as we like to say in the editing world, Um, it could be in the case of a building, it could be a clever architectural move, could be a really beautiful integration with the surrounding landscape. It could be the way light comes in, in a certain um, part of the building, a really fabulous amenity like that bar I just mentioned, but I think any good art sticks with you. And that takes a little time to reveal itself.
0: I like that. Yeah, that was beautiful. So let's talk uh, about any big announcements. Is there anything uh, anything that you'd like to share? We already talked. We talked about the AD One Hundred and the and the documentary. Is there anything else going on with AD Pro uh, that you'd like to to talk about, or any side projects that you might be working on?
1: So coming up, we will have a preview on AD Pro um, for KBiz. If any of your listeners attend that the Kitchen and Bath Industry Show or IBS, um, we will have a kind of guide to that coming out. So if you're looking for you know, recommendations of what you need to hit up or what our kind of what our hit list is going to be, even where to stay, um, that gets covered in our preview. So I would keep an eye out for that. We also have quarterly trend reports so you know i think the first one is going to be in march this year um, and i believe it's going to be focused on outdoor design again so that'll be a big moment for us so far that's been the most popular one we've put out so we had to reprise it this year so uh, those are two things i would definitely want to highlight and i would also say you know if you're listening in and you're an architect or a designer definitely encourage you to go look at our ad pro directory it's just an incredible resource um, not only just for people looking to, to hire designers but also it's a community uh, that's a part of our ad pro membership so you know we do special events we um, it, it's an incredible resource so I just recommend going and checking that out.
0: Wonderful, Lila. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. This this has been an honor, a pleasure, and and it's nice to talk to someone who's who just takes so much joy in their work. So thank oh, you for being thank here. Thank
1: you so much. I'm not on this side of the mic too often, so this was a treat.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks. You too.